Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the seventh episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Thanks very much for listening. We've got what I hope is another insightful edition of the show for you. We're going to get things started with Kyle Larson, driver of the number 42 Target Chevrolet. And Kyle also happens to be a native of California, which, of course, is where Sunday's Sprint Cup race is at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana. And although Kyle's hometown of Elk Grove is not all that close to Fontana, which is in Southern California. Uh, this is a bit of a homecoming week for Kyle. He's, he's spent his entire week back in his home state. We caught him on his drive to Roseville, where he was handling some sprint car business. Uh, but he also is there this week for a family wedding uh, with his girlfriend, Caitlin, who's, whose brother is getting married. And uh, Owen Larson, the, the, the son of, of Caitlin and Kyle, is actually going to be the ring bearer in that wedding. So we talked a little bit to Kyle about, about what that experience is going to be like. We talked to Kyle Larson about his love of the Golden State Warriors and uh, what it's like to have courtside seats at Oracle Arena, which Kyle has been privileged enough to enjoy a couple of times. And we also talked about what it's like for him being a millennial on social media. I've noticed on Twitter that I think you see a little bit more of Kyle's personality versus what you might see in a television interview. He seems more comfortable expressing himself uh, via social media. So we talked about why that might be and why he offers some really good insight on, on why members of his generation might be a little bit more comfortable on Twitter expressing themselves on social media versus on camera. And uh, we also talked about what it's like being a young family uh, navigating the rigors of the Sprint Cup series. Kyle travels a lot with Caitlin and Owen, who's 14 months, and all that. That might sound overwhelming for someone in their young 20s to, to have their family with them, traveling through the, the barnstorming schedule of, of NASCAR, Kyle really, really seems to enjoy having his family with him on the road, and you, you'll hear that come through in this interview. In the uh, second half of the podcast, I'll be joined by my NBC Sports colleague, Dustin Long. We'll recap the first four races of the 2016 season, talking about the uh, dominance of the powerhouses so far, talking about Kevin Harvick's win at Phoenix and, and what that might mean for his future. There's been some questions about what, what happens after the 2016 season for Kevin Harvick. And we'll also talk about Clint Boyer, the man who is scheduled to join Kevin Harvick, 
potentially at Stuart Haas Racing in 2017. But in the meantime, he's off to a rather, unfortunately for Clint Boyer, abysmal start uh, to 2016. We'll talk about why that might be and, and what it might portend for, for Clint Boyer uh, in the future. As always, uh, looking for your feedback. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Nate Ryan. Please uh, send any comments you've got, any uh, suggestions on guests. Always looking for those. And if you like what you hear, um, please rate us or leave a review on iTunes. Uh, Really appreciate you listening. Appreciate your support. But let's get started with the driver of the number 42 for Chip Ganassi Racing. All right, joined now by Kyle Larson. And uh, Kyle, I really appreciate you making some time for us. I know you're, uh, you're still out on the West Coast. Uh, where, where are we talking to you from today? I am currently uh, breaking the California law of talking on my cell phone while driving. <laughs> um, I'm, in, I'm uh, actually on the, I'm in driving through Roseville right now to go to uh, also the sprint car shop. Uh, I'm going to race to sprint car at the World Outlaws race after Fontana. And uh, I'm actually meeting Casey Kane's cousin there, who I'm running a midget for also. So I got to put a seat in his race car. So um, a little bit of a busy day today, but uh, it's nice to be out on the West Coast and, and uh, you know, finally got some sunshine here. It's been raining uh, all last week and, and finally today it stopped. So it's been, been nice. Good, good, good for you. And yeah, certainly be safe. I don't want to be complicit in you uh, breaking any laws while you're doing this interview. <laughs> but um, you, you spend a lot of time, I've noticed, uh, on the West Coast, not just uh, during this part of the, the the season, the West Coast swing, but I know you were out in, in Phoenix before the season started. It seems like you try to get back uh, as often as you can, huh? Yeah, we, we've spent quite a bit of the off-season out here. Uh, after... Right after Homestead, I ran a race in Southern California, a USAC midget race. And then um, I'm kind of forgetting. It, it feels like it's been so long ago now. But, um, yeah, after that, uh, we spent a couple weeks here. And then then we went to Japan uh, to hang out with the people from Enios there and tour their facilities a little bit. And then uh, came back and spent a couple more weeks before Christmas. And then uh, from there, I went back to uh, Arizona to do some racing, and then then I did some more more dirt racing in uh, Oklahoma and then the Rolex. And then uh, right after the Rolex, we went to um, the Scottsdale for uh, the Phoenix Open golf tournament, which was really really cool. My first ever PGA tournament I, I you know, got to witness, so that was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, the off season was spent in a lot of sunshine. And uh, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, nice. Are Are you much of a golf fan? How, how did you end up at the Phoenix Open? Um, I'm not like a I'm not a huge golfer, and you know I, I enjoy playing golf a couple times a year, and I you know might watch a little bit of it on TV throughout the year. But um, yeah, everybody everybody has told me that the Phoenix Open was or is the you know coolest event on the tour to go to. So. Uh, it, it happened to be during our off season, so uh, I went out there and and got to have fun with a couple of my my best friends that I grew up racing go karts and sprint cars with, and then uh, you know Caitlin was out there as well, uh, and then we hung out with Ricky and Danica because uh, she has a place there, so uh, that was fun. Oh, and 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 also Supercross is in town uh, that week too, so we got to hang out with Dungey, uh, who's 
sponsored by Target also. So, oh, right. Um, right. Yeah, that week was a lot of fun. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk to you about the Supercross because I, I saw you at LAN as well and uh, w- want to ask you a little about that. But first, uh, speaking of attending other sporting events, uh, I know that you, you've also been, been tweeting uh, some really primo seats that you've had lately. So uh, I think I think the biggest question I have on this podcast is, how do you score those courtside seats for Golden State Warriors games? <laughs> um, so uh, I, you know, I'm, I got to meet um, this financial advisor a couple of years ago, and um, you know, he he does a lot of stuff with a lot of the NBA players, and um, so you know, myself, my parents, we always just kind of ask him. Uh, if he has any tickets available um, for any basketball games that are are local, and uh, it just happened to be, well, actually a couple months ago, uh, my dad asked for tickets uh, to that game, and uh, he got them courtside tickets, but he got sick, so he let my sister take her and one of her friends there, and uh, I was pretty jealous about that. So <laughs> when I got to, got back out here to California, I made sure that. I was going to get to sit courtside this time, so uh, it was really cool to, yeah, the uh, the Warriors are, are unbelievable right now, especially Seth Curry and, and how, um, you know, great of a player he is, and to, uh, you know, sit, sit courtside uh, and watch him that close is really cool. Yeah, and of course, they won. I mean, obviously, they haven't lost there in, in what seems like years at this point. Um, have you uh, have you always been a fan of the team, knowing that you, you didn't grow up too far away from, from the Oakland area? Or, or is it is it that they've become, like, as you said, they're, they're such a phenomenon now, it's just a place to, to, to go and be seen and enjoy yourself? Yeah, I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge Warriors fan because, you know, my, when I grew up out here, we we're so close to Sacramento Kings that, uh, you know, I was, I grew up a fan of them when they were good, uh, and then they, they're pretty bad now, so I, I don't uh, follow <laughs> okay. too much, but. So this, um, this, this was so back I, in the, guess, the, the yeah, Chris Webber days, you, you were a fan, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Chris Webber, Mike Diddy, Tasia, um, but yeah, they, they haven't been good for a while, and, and really those, I didn't, I don't follow basketball, honestly, a whole lot, um, but, you know, when the Warriors started, uh. It was getting really, really good. I started paying attention, and um, you you see highlights of them every night. So uh, it's hard not to kind of become a fan of their style of playing. And um, so yeah, it was it was fun to go there and get to see it, you know, live. Yeah, I bet. What what what's the atmosphere like in that building when when Steph Curry's hitting threes and and they're playing lights out? It so like. Going to any other basketball game, I feel like when when a player hits a three pointer, you get you, they get a round of applause. But like when Steph and Clay Thompson or anybody honestly on the Warriors team would hit a three pointer, that place would go nuts. So uh, it was uh, it was just different, you know. Like uh, I feel like most arenas get pumped up when people you know slam dunk and stuff like that, but. At the Warriors, they they go crazy when they hit a three pointer. So uh, it probably probably makes all those players shoot more threes than than they would on any other team, just because the crowd gets into it so much. Right, 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 right. I, I know you said you're, you're not a huge hoops fan, but I also happened to notice on Twitter that I think you had gone to a Hornets game as a guest of uh, of Jeremy Lin. I think you and Caitlin uh, went together. What what was that like? Yeah, that was a that was a good game. That was like. Our both of our first uh, Hornets games 
he got to go to, and they absolutely blew out. Uh, I think it was Phoenix, maybe they were playing. Um, they were up like forty-two points at one point. It was uh, it was pretty crazy. They were they were killing it that day, and and Jeremy, he's a he's a really really good guy. Super super normal. Um, I got to Davis, my PR guy. He he talked Jeremy into coming to a race shop uh, before the season started. Uh, before they went to, I think, China maybe to play basketball. And um, we gave him a tour of the race shop and stuff, and I was just blown away by how normal the guy he was. And, yeah. Um, so it was nice to, to get to go to get to go to a Hornets game and support him and uh, get to meet up with him after in the locker room area and uh, just get to talk a little bit before he went to Philadelphia. So uh, it's fun to watch him play, and especially it was cool to see him Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that he comes off as a normal guy because I just read something somewhere, or maybe I heard it somewhere, an interview that he did where he said that every, every team he's played for, he gets stopped by security guards when he tries to go in the arena because they're just convinced there's no way this guy can be playing in the NBA. Um, I, I mean, obviously, he, he's done a lot as an Asian American who's had a lot of success in the NBA. Can you relate to that as an Asian American who's who's doing really well in racing, and obviously there's not a lot of history there as well. Is there, is there maybe a little bit of a connection there? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, it's cool to kind of see how he is. You know, he's probably more into the Asian culture than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but you definitely see more. I feel like going to the Hornets game, I saw um, more Asians, I guess, than the normal aside from maybe a, a Warriors game. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and then do you know for myself? I, I definitely have noticed you know more more Asians at the racetrack, um, and and wearing you know my race gear. So um, it's cool to to just kind of play a small role in, in helping out the sport um, of NASCAR, and then you know him as well with the NBA. So um, just I don't know. I just just keep keep trying to, to do the best I can or Asians, Asians into, into the sport. Sure, sure. That's uh, certainly an admirable goal and uh, requ- requires certainly a lot of, of effort in, in spreading the word. And as you mentioned, I mean, you're, you're, you're traveling a lot, not just for, for racing, but um, uh, to, to do hospitality events, I would think sponsor events. Uh, I've noticed you travel a lot with, with your young son and with, <laughs> with Caitlin as well. Being as young as you are, um, is it ever overwhelming at all to, to have the family with you all the time and to be traveling? I, I know Davis, your PR guy, told me today that I think you're you're on Owen duty today. Does that ever uh, does that ever get overwhelming to be to be traveling all over the the, the country with him? No, I I like it a lot. Uh, you know, with with our schedule, you know, any NASCAR driver is so busy. Any athlete really is so busy that they don't get to spend a whole lot of time. I feel like with their families, so. Um, luckily with, with our sport, you know, I feel like we can spend even more time than any other athlete with our families just because, you know, we can, we have our motor home at the racetrack and they, it's basically just our second home. So, uh, yeah, it's nice getting to have him with us all the time and Caitlin as well. And, um, you know, if, if they didn't get the travel, I'd be missing them all the time. So. Uh, just you know, this weekend at Phoenix, I was there by myself, and I was super bored. Uh, <laughs> didn't know what to do with my time, and um, got back late last night. But uh, was hoping 
and he was going to wake up in the middle of the night so I could go grab him and bring him to bed, but uh, he slept good last night. So, um, but yeah, any any time we can bring him anywhere, uh, we try to. Um, sometimes I, I don't understand how Caitlin, uh, you know, with all the traveling that I do, how she can keep up and, and you know, like I'll be booking airline tickets for these sprint car races I got coming up, and I'm like, I think you should probably stay in Charlotte, you know, if you're not wore out. And then that causes a fight because she thinks that I don't want her to be there. So <laughs> um, it's it's crazy that uh, she she wants to travel as much, if not more, than I do and with the baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it helps that her coming from a racing family, she understands that's that's kind of what she signed up for, and, and that's that's what the life is about, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, I think looking at the brother uh, right now, uh, running the World Outlaws Tour, that that schedule is, is way way tougher than sure. what we go through. So um, I think she, I think her being you know familiar with the World Outlaws Tour, she understands that people have it way harder than we do. So uh, at least on the travel side of things. So um, yeah, she she is uh, very good when it comes to traveling like that. Right, right, right. And I, I, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I saw that you took Owen to, to Supercross in Atlanta, and I've seen you've tweeted photos of, of being with him at dirt track races. And I know uh, Supercross, as you said, you, you have that relationship with, with Dungey, the, the champion there, being also sponsored by Target. H- how does Owen like being immersed in it, or can you tell yet? And, and that you kind of give him that behind-the-scenes tour like you can take him into uh, anybody can get into the pits at a supercross event but you can take him behind the ropes and when ricky stenhouse jr is getting on his bike you can be there with him or or you can introduce him to ryan dungey is that that must be a cool experience for him yeah it's cool for me to get to experience him going through that you know cool stuff i don't i mean i don't think he understands anything of what's going on uh right now but um and i I don't want him to get feel like that's normal either. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want him to think that you know we're spoiling him. And he, you know, if if we can't get into the VIP areas, it's things that uh, he throws a fit or anything. So um, that's why I try and I try and uh, we try and fly commercial every once in a while, so he doesn't get used to the private lifestyle and, and all that. Because uh, I didn't get to do all that growing up, so I, I don't want him to experience too much of it. But <laughs> um, it is cool getting to you know be where I'm at now and and you know meeting certain people and things that that get you to do cool things and uh, to have him tag along is is fun also. But um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know he he'll I'm saying that I don't want to spoil him, but he'll get to do whatever he wants <laughs> yeah. throughout his life. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, but uh, anything he wants to do, he can probably do. Do, do you have you gotten any indications that he 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 likes racing a lot? That that's that's something he's he's really interested in. Oh yes, he yeah. uh, he loves <laughs> loves racing. Um, he's got my mom. Every time she comes to the racetrack, she buys him all those one sixty four scale uh, little toy <laughs> die cap cars at the, the fanatic tent and, and brings them over to the motorhome. And, and he's already before he even turned one years old, he was making race car noises, like, rawr, rawr, rawr. and then, like, you know, racing his cars on the ground and stuff, so, uh, it, it's cool to see as a, a racing parent, but then it's also kind of scary, because you know, you know what he's going to be into here in a few years, and um, wanting to drive go-karts and stuff already, and all that, so, um, 
thing too, you know, we'll go to either you know, a NASCAR race or a sprint car race, and you put him in the cockpit of the race car, like on intros and stuff. And he's just in there, just you know, tugging on the steering wheel, grabbing the shifter, all that kind of stuff, and and you know, making all his race car noises and things like that. So <laughs> it's uh, he's definitely a little little racing kid, and it's uh, it's cool to see, but uh, also nerve-wracking. Nice, nice, nice. And and I guess it, it helps if, uh, as you said, Kyle, he, he's got a dad who doesn't really mind if he wakes up in the middle of the night <laughs> uh, and wakes you up. That's that's not ex- yeah. that's not the answer I expected to hear. But I think that's cool that you don't you don't mind that in a motorhome. <laughs> having a well, motorhome. last night I didn't mind it, but uh, <laughs> normally I, normally it's the uh, when he wakes up in the middle of the night, it's like you know, whoever can kick kick the other person first has to go get him so, uh, normally that's me because i'm a heavier sleeper so she'll get me the kick and i gotta get up to get him but uh he he when he does get up in the middle of the night though he goes right back to sleep so he just wants to like cuddle or something i don't know he gets cold maybe i'm not sure but as soon as you pick him up he's like back to sleep in your arms and wants to cuddle you that's good. That's good to hear. Well, I'm I'm glad that that he makes life uh, relatively easy for you traveling, and and I think it's cool that y- you share a lot of it on on social media um, through Twitter. And I, I'm kind of curious, Kyle. I've, I've noticed. I don't know if you're on Snapchat, but I was following um, Ryan Blaney and and Daryl Wallace Jr. took over the NASCAR Snapchat over the last day or so, and they've been on there and I've seen a new side of their personality the way I, f- I feel like when I follow you on Twitter, I see another side of, of your personality. Is there something about social media that, you know, people your age, um, yourself, Ryan Blaney, Daryl Wells Jr., whoever it might be, are, are, do you feel more comfortable like maybe sharing who you are in that format versus maybe a typical interview or on camera or whatever? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I watched that, uh, I watched that, that story <laughs> they did last night. It was it's hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I I don't know. I guess, I guess, yeah. You can kind of show your other side a little bit. uh, You know, on the other side of your your cell phone. Um, But um, I don't know. I I don't I don't do a ton of stuff on Twitter or or social media. And my Snapchat stuff is more for just my friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I do have fun. I do have most of my fun on Snapchat, especially now because they have all those like filters or but you know faces on your face or dog ears and stuff like that. But right. um, yeah, social media is cool. But I, I, I'm more I'm more stock people on there rather than post all the time. <laughs> I'm sure my PR people would rather me tweet more than I stalk people. But uh, I just enjoy reading up on everything, everybody. Yeah, I I think that's as a, as a fellow stalker on social media, I think that's a smart way to play it. I've also noticed though that on on Twitter, you, you can be you can be pretty blunt too. And I I noticed that uh, after the the race at Vegas, I I think the word you used was you said that you you should have finished better, but you you had choked. How about that that side of you? I mean, being able to be that candid uh, in that kind of setting. Is that important to you, I guess, to be able to be that honest? Because I thought that was impressive that you were able to sort of maybe just take all the blame on yourself for that finish. And and you didn't have to do that, but you did. I was curious about your approach to that. Yeah, I mean, I try and and take the blame as much as I can, Um, especially when I I do bad or or even, even I might be, you know, upset at another another driver on the racetrack and, and then I'll try and you know, think deeper into it and, and try and 
figure out, well, maybe there was something I did wrong to put myself in that situation that you know got me wrecked or whatever. And um, so I, I feel like I'm pretty humble about mistakes I make and and all that. And uh, I hate to uh, you know, place blame on anybody else besides myself. Um, you know, growing up, you know, I've, I've listened to other NASCAR drivers who, you know, destroy their, you know, team and, and stuff on the radio and stuff like that or interviews, and I just think that's awful. So I don't ever want to be like that, and um, I feel like all throughout my career I've, I've done a, a pretty good job at, at uh, being humble and, and stuff like that. So, um, and maybe, you know, that's just the way my parents raised me or, or what, but uh, I'll always try and take the blame. Right. Do you hear from your team? I mean, do, do you sense they notice that? Do you sense they appreciate it? Yeah, yeah. A, a few of my guys uh, text me the next day and, and uh, we're just like, you're all good, man. Uh, you know, we wouldn't want to be working for anybody else besides you. So um, that's good to hear when, when you know, they write me those things and it makes me feel better about myself and, and about uh, everything that goes on uh, you know, our, our team. So, um you know, and I wouldn't want any of them working for anybody else besides me as well. So uh, I feel like we have a great team and, and a great opportunity. We just got to, you know, myself and everybody just got to capitalize on all the all the good moments. Right, right. Where do you feel like the team is right now at the moment, Kyle? I know it's been probably not exactly the start you've wanted, but but it seems like you guys have, have run well at times. How how would you uh, evaluate it? Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like we're, we're still close, you know, being you know, capable of competing for top fives and stuff consistently because the, you know, the, the sprinkle series is so tight. But uh, I, I was, I've also been a little depressed or disappointed. I feel like we are about, you know, the same as where we ended last season. And I, and I, I feel like, you know, there's a few teams that we ran around most of last year that are now a little bit better. So um, that, that part is depressing to see. But uh, at the same time, it makes, Everybody not, uh, or definitely on the edge of their seat, and and working hard to to make it better. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll keep we'll keep working hard as an organization, and, and I'm sure we'll find some speed here soon. Um, we just gotta gotta keep working hard, and, and I feel like we made a lot of great uh, hires there at the, uh, over the off season. So uh, it might just take a little bit of time to to you know, come into, you know, play and, um, you know, make this run a little bit better. Sure, sure. Well, I know uh, certainly this weekend you're, you're, you're going to a place that uh, if you're going to run well, this is, this is probably a place where it happens. I know, you, you know, Fontana, you finished second there as a rookie. You, you got an Xfinity win there in 2014. You've got three top 10 finishes in the Xfinity series, and I know you, you qualified well there last year. I would presume – this is one of your favorite tracks on the circuit, and being that it is California, I know it's not exactly right around the corner from Elk Grove, but this must be a bit of a homecoming for you. This must be a weekend you look forward to. Yeah, I love I love Fontana. I uh, always have since I've gotten to run there. I, I feel like I ran good there every time. Um, and, you know, won, won my first uh, Xfinity race there and then uh, finished second the next day. So um, I always look forward to going there and it's just a really fun racetrack. The tires wear out, the lines are, there's a bunch of different lines you can run. Um, so yeah, I, and I think, I think this is a track where we will run, run good at, uh, coming, you know, up there this week. Um, 
I think you know, we've been we, we we can qualify well, and then I think we'll also race race pretty good too. I I hope anyways, but uh, I'm not a psychic. I can't foresee the future, but <laughs> I'd like to think that we can go there this week and um, you get a get a top five. You know, definitely a top ten, but it's not a top five. That'd be good. Sure. Well, it, it, I mean, it seems like this is a track where, uh, given how worn out that pavement is. That it's it's a little bit more of an equalizer and, and maybe puts a little bit more of a premium, I would think, uh, the way I see it at least, maybe on driver talent. That if you can manage your tires, if you can run on older tires and still go fast, that this is a place that rewards that, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, really, any mile and a half is like that. So um, that's why I enjoy the mile and a half the most. You know, obviously you still have to have a, a really good car when you go there, but um, I do think I do think driver talent shows up a little bit more at these places and, and maybe that's just because I'm partial to them because I feel like I run the run the or my dust track for mile and a half. But um yeah, I don't I don't know. I you know Fontana, Texas, uh Homestead, Charlotte, uh Chicago, those are all you know, some of my favorite tracks. So um Hopefully we can go there and just have a good run this weekend. Absolutely. Well, we, we wish you the best. Uh, and before we let you go, what, what else is on the docket for the, the Kyle Larson uh, family homecoming tour this week? Any other uh, big plans while you're in your native state? Hi. <laughs> yeah, this week, this week uh, Caitlin's brother is uh, getting married on, on Wednesday. Oh. So uh, we have rehearsals tomorrow and, and then the wedding on Wednesday. So, uh, big week for the sweet family, and uh, we're gonna have fun doing it. I think Owen's supposed to be the the ring the ring bearer or something like that. So <laughs> that sounds um, like trouble. That'd be that'd be funny to. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully he doesn't eat the ring. That's what I'm more <laughs> concerned about. Yeah. Well, uh, it'll it'll be a good story nonetheless. Uh, if he does, I hope that doesn't happen either. <laughs> but um, I, hey, man, I really appreciate you making time. Enjoyed the conversation, and uh, good luck this weekend at Fontana. Our thanks to Kyle Larson for joining us uh, for that interview. Appreciate him making time while he's out traveling during this West Coast swing for NASCAR, which of course wraps up this weekend at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. And I'm joined now by my, my colleague at NBCSports.com, the editor of, of NASCAR Talk. That, of course, is Dustin Long. And and Dustin, um, Kyle Larson comes into Fontana, uh, I, I think it's fair to say, struggling. I mean, he's, he's 17th in points. He did open the year with a, a top 10 finish at the Daytona 500, but things certainly have not gone as well as that team had hoped. Atlanta, Vegas, and Phoenix, only one top 15 among among those three races. And it, it ties into something you wrote about for NBC on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR this week. You wrote uh, in our Upon Further Review story, which is a, a new feature uh, th- this year. Certainly encourage everybody to read this. This is something Dustin's doing on, on Mondays after each race, uh, taking a, uh, a kind of like a post-mortem of, of what, what we saw on Sunday. And, and the lead to your upon further review story uh, yesterday, Dustin, or, or excuse me, Monday, was about how the powerhouse teams really have dominated. And the stat that caught my eye that was really surprising was Stuart Haas, G- Joe Gibbs Racing, Team Penske, Hendrick Motorsports have have won what thirty nine of the past forty races now. Forty nine of the last fifty. Forty nine of the last fifty. Go back to AJ Allmendinger's win at home at uh, Watkins Glen, 
And it's been those four teams that won every race except for uh, Martin Truex scoring that win at, uh, at, at Pocono last year. So, uh, you know, I, I know there was a lot of talk going into the season. It's like, well, what's going to happen with the low downforce package and, and how's that going to change the game? Well, it, you know, as of right now, it really hasn't changed the game. And, and one, it's not surprising that Joe Gibbs Racing is as good as it has been because of the, the success it had on the, uh, in the low downforce races last year at, at Kentucky and Darlington. And you look at, uh, you know, what, what they did uh, going, you know, nearly winning at Phoenix, going 2-3-4. Uh, and, had, I mean, that's three cars in the top five. It's 26 consecutive races Joe Gibbs Racing's had a car in the top five. That's not – I mean, you know, top five is, is – 26 consecutive races. We're talking a regular season of where, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing's got one car in, in the top five, which I think is an amazing stat. You know, that goes back to maybe, I haven't looked back, but I'm sure that goes back to essentially the dominant years of Jeff Gordon at Hendrick and, and some of the success at Hendrick years ago. And I mean, but just what we're seeing there, I think, is just has just been remarkable. But yeah, it's still, it's still a big boy sport. And, you know, uh, Roush Fenway still trying to pick itself up off the floor. Richard Childress Racing is is uh, still trying to find itself. Um, so, you know, Chip Ganassi Racing, like you mentioned, with, with, with Kyle Larson, Jay McMurray. Um, to me, I think that's probably been the probably one of the probably been the most disappointing team so far in the in this this part of the season. First four races, is I just thought there would be more out of them. I expected more out of them, uh, especially after uh, Jamie making the chase last year, and thought, okay, this will be the year they. You know, get that get that car back in the chase. Get Kyle Larson in the chase, and obviously there's still a lot of time. And and again, you know, we've seen you know we've seen years where even going back to last year where teams were not strong early in the season, still had success later and 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 went on to uh, chase success. I mean, look, you know, at this time a year ago, you know, we were writing about what's wrong with Joe Gibbs Racing because after the Phoenix race, they all their cars didn't do very well. Denny Hamlin. I run into him and on pit road after the race, and he's like, our cars just suck right now. And, you know, I know that in talking with the Gibbs folks, they said, well, we feel like we're moving in the right direction. We feel like we can, if we can get things straight uh, and we're looking toward, you know, May and Charlotte or, or, or that part of the season, then we'll be able to pick things up. And obviously they did. Um, so just because an organization, you know, like a Childress or a Ganassi or somebody hasn't won yet doesn't mean it's the end of the world after four races because you look at what Gibbs did and, 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 you know, people are still wondering about Gibbs at this point last year. Then look at what they end up pulling off. Right, right. And that stat again is 26 straight uh, races top five. With, a, with at least one car in the top five, five for Joe for Gibbs, Gibbs Racing, which is just—I mean, that's just—that's sick. On one hand, it's it, it's impressive and and somewhat astounding. But on the other hand, it's it's not all that unexpected, right? I mean, I mean, it is for maybe one team to have that kind of dominance. But the other stat that, that they and Stuart Haas and Hendrick and Penske have have dominated and, and gotten the lion's share of all the victories, I, even if there wasn't a rules change. And certainly the, the lower downforce package, we know that when NASCAR institutes major rules changes, the teams with the most money, yep. the most staff, but to me, the most important part of this question, the most talent are the ones that figure it out. I mean, that to me is, is always going to be the factor here is that the large teams have the best people, whether it's drivers, whether it's crew chiefs, whether it's middle managers, whether it's engineers. Yeah, they're the ones who can afford these people. They're the ones who can – we've got a track record, so you want to come work for us. They can attract that kind of talent. It's it, The power structure is always going to be this way to some extent, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that, that stat least uh, surprises me least because – I mean, how many how many former crew chiefs are working at these different organizations in, in positions other than? I mean, obviously you look at a, a Todd Barrier at Joe Gibbs Racing, you look at uh, you know Darian Grubb at 
uh, and Kenny Francis at Hendrick Motorsports. I mean, as you mentioned, they're just they're loaded with the resources, the the, the multiple layers. I mean, if if the first four races of the season, uh, the winners included uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, um, you know, Chip Ganassi Racing, JTG Doherty, then I'd be like, wow, you know, okay, that's this was a great change because it really, it really kind of upset the apple cart, but no, I mean, you make a rule change and it's going to be that, that type of case where, um, the big dogs, you know, are, are going to continue. I, 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 I think, I think you look at some of the other teams and I, I'll tell you one thing I am intrigued about is, you know, not one of the big dogs, but I think one team that's kind of done well, has kind of been on the periphery as a guy is kind of impressed me a little bit is, is what Richard Petty Motorsports has done with Eric Morella. Now they've still had some issues where they haven't had the results partially because he's had a couple penalties on pit road uh, for uncontrolled tire for a couple races. And that's hurt them. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me about Almirola's team last year for a good part of the year is they had a certain amount of speed, but they weren't the fastest, but a lot of races, they maximized their results. When they were a 12th place car, they finished, 12th and they were 10th place car they fin- and that almost got him back in the chase last year till toward the end of, of the regular season they kind of had some issues and couldn't recover for him so I, I'm kind of watching a team like that as because you know really kind of think that's a team that's probably going to point its way into the into the chase and and they've got to look at it. and I think the way they look at it is trying to get top 15 finishes and to me that's a team that I keep an eye on. But, no, that's not a team that's going to go out and win the races like like the Hendricks, like like uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas, or Team Penske because they don't have the resources. They don't have the manpower to be as dominant. That doesn't mean they still can't win because I think they can at some point, and they've just got to kind of pick right. and choose their races. Uh, whereas, you know, Hendrick and Stuart Haas are going to be a contender everywhere, uh, a Richard Petty Motorsports or Richard Childress Racing there's going to be certain tracks that are going to be really good at other tracks that they're, that are not going to be as competitive at. We can obviously narrow it down plate races, road courses, Almondinger, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, winning there for JTG Doherty, which is certainly an underdog. And then maybe short tracks, because I, I feel like the driver still can make a difference at a short track if he hits the setup and everything goes right. But, but for the as big, long as Jimmy Johnson and Denny Hamlin have bad yeah. days at Martinsville <laughs> or Kyle right? Bush, yeah. who's or Matt Kenseth, who's yeah. coming into his own at, at a place like Martinsville despite his troubles there last year. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when you look at it, when you look at that outlook, it, I don't want to say it's bleak, but if you are, as you mentioned, Dustin, Roush, this is a critical season for them. They, they need yeah. to turn it around. Is, is it just, they need to show something to the yeah. four folks. And, and Ganassi to some extent, too, because, yeah. uh, I mean, Jamie McMurray now is, I think he's in his 40s. Kyle Larson, there's a lot of you know waiting with bated breath for him to finally realize his expectations there's some pressure on that team too is it is it just a matter of these teams have to just hope that maybe they discover that one secret that lasts for four or five weeks and then a mile and a half tracks puts them in the top five and gives them that shot at a win I mean it it seems like that's kind of the hope because it's it's not like they can make a lot of changes they're going to allow them to catch up with those other teams overnight right well, I mean, it, it, it's tough to do once you get too far behind because as you're playing catch-up, the, the, the leaders are, are pulling further ahead or moving forward, so everybody's progressing. Um, and it's just how fast can you you've – got to, you've got to leapfrog that process. So, yeah, I think – I think this is a, a you know can be a critical time. I mean, uh, obviously after Auto Club, you've got uh, you know you've got some short tracks coming up. You've got Martinsville, uh, you've got Richmond and Bristol here in the next month. Uh, you've got Talladega. Uh, so this is an opportunity for some of these teams to really kind of have a go at it and and uh, 
to potentially, you know, get a top five, have a chance at a win. Um, you know, some of these short tracks, you never know what's going to happen because, you know, we've seen leaders get wiped out by lap cars or all sorts of things uh, like that. So, uh, you know, was it, uh, was it a couple of years ago? Was it what the, the, the Bristol race where they had the a race went into overtime and then the uh, caution came in on the overtime, right? <laughs> right. What was it? That was what Edwards right. and Stenhouse. I mean, Stenhouse almost won that race. Right. And, and uh, uh, so, I think this is a, this is a key period because it's such a long season. You need to have some results. You need to have something positive, and I think that can look. If you're getting your butt handed to you on the mile and a half, you've got to have something that that makes you want to come into the shop every week uh, to kind of feel good about things, as opposed to you know coming in after an, uh, on a Monday morning after you know another twentieth place finish when you know your organization should be a top fifteen, top tw- uh, top ten car. Well, as as we've talked about, Dustin, obviously the, the powerhouses have come out strong out of the box here in, in 2016. No surprise there. But another way to look at this from a NASCAR perspective, in terms of the parity among the powerhouses, I mean, Daytona, you get a Gibbs win. Atlanta, you get a Hendrick win. Vegas, you get Penske. And now Phoenix, Stuart Haas. So there's there's been a nice secession there, I guess, if you're NASCAR to at so least who's next say. Now? Yeah, well... Now we start back at, at Joe Gibbs, right? I mean, uh, pick actually, your favorite I, I, driver. I, I, I think this Fontana. weekend, I think this weekend, Auto Club is, is Stuart Haas racing again. I think it's Kurt Busch. Really? That's, okay. that's, I mean, after last year, the way he lost that race, he's lost the race the last couple of years, uh, right at the end and uh, on overtimes. Uh, you look how fast he's been. Um, that just seems like that's a team that seems to be moving closer and closer, being on the cusp of winning and, and really kind of putting themselves in position. Uh, yeah, he didn't help himself at, the, at Vegas with the speeding penalty, um, and, and they've kind of had a few issues, but the, that car's been fast. And, uh, you know, I, I'd look at – that's somebody I look at, or or Matt Kenseth, I want to see what he does be, at, at Auto Club. He's shown speed. You know, they've just kind of shot themselves in the foot uh, a number of these races. Uh, you know, if I think they kind of ran a relatively clean race at Phoenix. It wasn't spectacular, but they just need to run a clean race, just like Harvey and and Rodney Childers. They need to have a clean race at Phoenix, and you know they were good enough to win that race after having issues the last couple of weeks. So you know, you go to a big track. I still think it's going to be one of the, one of the big four. And like I said, I think it's you know yeah, it could be it could start the rotation again with Gibbs, and I would say with Kenseth. Um, but I think it, it'll probably be uh, Stuart Haas Racing going back to back with Kurt Busch. I just feel like this is his place. He's kind of got figured out, and just he's come so close. Um, I think he's still got you know, even with the downforce chain, I think he, he'll be good there. Well, certainly Stuart Haas coming off a, a, a lot of momentum and a, a big win at Phoenix, getting their first win in 2016 with Kevin Harvick, and and definitely want to want to delve into that now. A, a big win on on multiple levels for Kevin Harvick, Dustin. I think first of all because. He leads the most laps again for the the 23rd time <laughs> since the start of the 2014 season when he went to Stuart Haas with Rodney Childers, and, and that's obviously been a, a fabulous pairing. They've, they've really dominated a lot of races. But yet, despite leading the most laps 23 times, this is only the eighth time they've, they've actually won a race in which they've led the most laps together, which... I mean, on one hand, it's it's a great stat, but on the other hand, it's it's got to be frustrating and, and potentially demoralizing. And we saw at Atlanta, they certainly had the dominant car for for most of the race and uh, couldn't close the deal. They were able to do that at Phoenix, despite the fact that uh, Childers kept Harvick on the track. He held off Carl Edwards in this amazing close finish, despite Edwards having two fresh tires. And the other layer to this, of course, is Stuart Haas Racing, we know, is switching the Ford next year. 
and we we don't really have clarity on <laughs> what's happening with one of their four drivers here. We we know certainly that Danica Patrick, Kurt Busch, and Clint Boyer next year all will be a part of that team. We think Kevin Harvick is going to be part of the picture, but we we haven't re- received you know com- a, a complete nobody's come out and said yes. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of like murky, muddy comments, and it's just like okay, it's a yes or no question, and it's like you're getting a maybe and a, and a dancing around. It's, so it's one of the things that you and I always find in this sport. It's it's really hard sometimes to get to the truth <laughs> because <laughs> what is the truth? Because the you know the the drivers aren't unionized. There, there's not contracts available on demand for everybody to see, like in other professional sports where where everything's much more centralized and everybody wants to share. Uh, their information. And in this sport, they can still be closely held secrets in terms of uh, driver contract length. So that, again... They are closely held because apparently whenever you ask anybody, nobody knows. Kevin Harvick doesn't know. Gene Haas doesn't know. Shoot, we were asking Ricky Stenhouse during the media tour. He didn't know. Yeah, that's exactly. That's another great example. Uh, So myself and and a few others, Jeff Gluck, Bob Pockris, asked Kevin Harvick at Atlanta about his contract. And and again, we didn't get a, a full answer here on... On what the story is, but we, we, we think that he could potentially have an option year for 2016 or 2017. Sorry, we think. Uh, and Lee Spencer of motorsport.com talked to, to Gene Haas, the, the owner of Stuart Haas Racing before Phoenix. He said, let, let me just quote this and give Lee the proper credit here. We always say we don't discuss driver's contracts, Haas said. I'm not really sure when his contract expires and all the details, but he's been very positive about it, and I have no hints that he would want to change, even though he's been approached by some other teams. At the moment, things look good from where we stand. So again, um, <laughs> we're not getting from Gene Haas uh, via Lee Spencer there, uh, you know, affirmation that Kevin Harvick is without a doubt, beyond the shadow of a doubt, going to be on this team in 2017. Why is it being approached if he has a contract? Exactly. What, what, what's your take on this? What do you make of it? Do you think right now Kevin Harvick is, is staying with that team next year? Uh, I think right now, today, Yes. Uh, tomorrow, maybe not. I mean, there's still there's a lot of moving parts and pieces. I think that there's, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation about, you know, partly because Harvick's always driven Chevrolets that, and he's always been aligned with Chevrolet that that this would be, you know, he would try to find a Chevrolet home. Okay, well, where's a Chevrolet home? Well, Hendrick Motorsports is. Well, Jimmy Johnson's there, not moving. Chase Elliott's there, not moving. Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s there, not moving. Casey Kane has a contract. But performance hasn't been positive. So I think there's the, you know, you look at it and you hear the whispers and, and, and maybe it's people talking and don't know anything, but you wonder about what if what if Casey doesn't have the performance, would that lead to any type of change at Hendrick and would that open the door at uh, uh, for Harvey? Because we've heard in the past, remember, uh, when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was at DEI and Rick Hendrick famously said there's no room at the inn at Hendrick, and then Kyle Busch suddenly found There wasn't it. at that time. And, then, and there wasn't. I mean, Rick was right. And then two weeks later, there was. And, yeah, Kyle Busch was uh, told, uh, <laughs> you need to go find somewhere else to go race, son. Um, so, you know, I think because you look back at that, there's that. Uh, you know, Or is there something where... Harvick joins a team like Stewart and has an ownership role um, where he has less, um, uh, 
less risk, like he did with Kevin Harvick Incorporated. Right. You know, Stewart basically said, "Hey, we'll get, you know come on over to Haas CNC Racing. We're we're a two car team that hasn't done anything, but we'll give you a forty nine percent ownership or whatever it is, and and uh, and we'll pay you on top of that to and and help us build up." And for nothing, Tony Stewart was yeah. given pretty much a fifty yeah. fifty stake in what is now Stewart House Racing just because of his name. And and Harvick, you know, he's he's hit forty. You know, how many more years does he have left? You know, uh, typically, as, you, as you've noted before, these contracts are three year contracts. So, is this next contract potentially his last? And if it is, he's got to be thinking, well, what do I want to do after that? Um, how does he want to stay involved in the sport? Because typically you see these guys who are really successful who want to stay involved in the sport. Um, you know, Jeff Gordon stays involved. He's got part ownership in, in, in Jimmy Johnson's team. He's got equity in that team. Um, he's in the broadcast side. So, okay, well, you kind of figure if you're Kevin Harvick, all right, Jeff's going to be in the booth for a long time, so there's not a place over there. Uh, you know, with us, we've got Latart, Steve Latart, and Jeff Burton, so that's not going to change anytime soon so if i'm harvick i want to stay in the sport well broadcasting probably isn't going to be that role i've done the ownership thing uh what more you know i've gone through those experiences good and bad what have i learned from it what can i do better what would i do better a second time you know if if the previous experience didn't scare him enough scare him off of ever getting back into ownership is there a way that he would get aligned with somebody and 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 do like what stewart did i mean remember when 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 gibbs when when Gibbs moved from Chevrolet to Toyota, Gibbs was the number two team at Chevrolet, and moved to Toyota, and and you know everybody just assumed Richard Childress Racing would become the number two team at, at Chevrolet again. Uh, nobody expected Haas CNC to be the number two team. So uh, what if you know? Let's just say that the Kevin Harvey gets aligned with uh, H Scott Motorsports. I mean, right now I don't think anybody would anticipate <laughs> right. H Scott Motorsports being the number two team at Chevrolet in the next three years. But what if they got involved and, and Harvick led a Stewart type of thing? I mean, you know, Harvick's Harvick's good friends with Stewart. That's why he went over to Stewart Haas Racing. I'm sure they've had this conversation about ownership. I'm sure they've they, you know they've talked in depth about it and and uh, you know. Kevin may have a better idea of how to do it a second time or may just figure, uh, you know, I went through it and I'm not going to go through it again. So I think that's what, because there's these different layers, I think that's what creates these questions and all, and nobody giving a straight answer um, on it that, that kind of presents some of these, you know, what-if what scenarios. And again, you know, there may be something else that happens that we don't see or he just may stay there. I mean, again, nobody would have thought Tony Stewart would have ever leave Joe Gibbs Racing to go to Haas CNC Racing, a team that you know couldn't get out of the leader's way. Right, right. And I think I think you you have a good analogy there, Dustin, with with H Scott because that's certainly a team that's that's struggling right now. But but so was Haas CNC, and and when it was rechristened Stuart Haas Racing, it it changed almost overnight. Yeah. And in two thousand, because because good people right. followed Tony over. Right. And I mean, they had at Haas CNC, they had some they had some parts and pieces in place. Well, they had the Hendrick Alliance. They, they had, had the, the chassis Alliance. and engines. They just didn't know how to use it the right yeah. way. And, and 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 good people, you know, Stuart Stuart 
you can say a lot of things about Stewart, but Stewart really knows the garage well. I mean, he, he you know he's that racer type of mentality, and he has he has that relationship with the crew guys. So he kind of knows, and he knows people who knows you know here, who's who's good over here, who's good over here, and can make the connections. And people want to you know when Tony made the move, people wanted to work for Tony because of his success, because he's a racer, because he's he gets it. You know he's he you know the reputation he's going to be in there with you. He's going to be fighting there in in there with you guys. And, and I, I think Harvey. Has that, mm-hmm. and and I think people would want to work for Harvick. I think you know, also having the championship recently and the success that will you know bring over be alluring to a lot of different people. So I think if he's going to make any type of move or ever once ever hopes to get back in any type of ownership, if anything is presented, then he's either got to he's either got to do it now or forever hold his peace right. type of thing. I I think that. Uh, there's a few options here and certainly he could stay at Stuart Haas. I I think that Hendrick Motorsports and the number five car, I think there's been a lot of speculation. I I think there's no secret that, that Casey Kane is, is most likely racing to keep that, that job right now. He has a multi-year deal, but from what everyone understands that there are options. All these, all these, all all these contracts have performance clauses. So, so I think that could be an option. And then I, I think you're right. I think, I think there's a possibility here. We know Kevin Harvick is big on self-determination. Uh, we know he, he went the team ownership route five and then soured on it and, and shut KHI down almost five years ago. Uh, but I, I think he might be in a different place in his life where he might be looking at that. And as you mentioned, Dustin, I mean, there's, there might be uh, reasons there that post-driving career, that might be the most attractive, alluring route for him to take, might be team ownership. And, and well, I mean, if you look at it, you look at him or look at a guy like Matt Kenseth. You know, Matt Kenseth is a, is a, is a lifer. I mean, he's a racer's racer. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen to Matt when, when, when his when – I can't he, see him owning a team. Well, again, there, where, yeah. where, where's he – you know, what, 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 how does he stay involved in the sport? I don't know if he will. I, don't, I, I, I think he might – he's not – to me, the, what separates Kevin Harvick from a Matt Kenseth is Kevin Harvick is – this is not to disparage Matt Kenseth at all, but I think Kevin Harvick lives and breathes Reason. racing in a, yeah. in a different way than Matt Kenseth is very much an old school blue collar racer, short track guy. But I feel like Harvick, a lot of what he's devoted his career around KHI was part of this was about, Hey, I'm a kid from the sticks in Bakersfield who caught some breaks and made it much like Brad Keselowski. Kevin Harvick stay here. Yeah, feels the same way. He's, he feels like there's, uh, there's a necessity of him giving back. Yeah. And making sure there are other Kevin Harvicks behind him, I think he 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 looks at it that way, and that's why I think again, lifelong Chevrolet guy, he went to Stuart Haas because he wanted to drive Rick Hendrick stuff. He wanted Hendrick Motorsports stuff. I, I feel like it, the the deal that Stuart Haas made it might very well be a good one, but when two, when Kevin Harvick signed on the dotted line and to join that team in 2014, this is not what he signed up for, and I think that's going to be. The, the big question mark here is, is does the Ford equation, does that make sense for him? So that certainly bears watching uh, going forward, but the team certainly has a lot less to worry about because the number four team now is essentially virtually in the playoffs. Unfortunately for the man who could be joining Kevin Harvick at Stuart Haas racing next year, uh, there, there is no such hope at this point. And of course I'm talking about Clint Boyer, who, uh, Dustin, I, I don't know if we, I mean, I, I, I thought he would struggle. Like, I, based on Kurt Busch's experience when he tried this, a similar approach in yeah. 2012, where he ran for James Finch in the 2012 season, he knew it would be essentially a one-year stopgap plan. A lot of people said Kurt Busch might win a race, he could make the chase. He struggled. And uh, there were times where he had 
moments where he he could have won, like Sonoma, Sonoma. But for the most part, it was a season-long struggle. But at least he was competitive to some degree. I mean, Clint Boyer, the first four races of the season for H. Scott Motorsports, 33rd, 35th, 22nd, and now 31st at Phoenix. And to me, this was the, the true nadir because when your team starts the race with a loose wheel, that's when you know things literally and figuratively are the wheels are coming off. <laughs> so what's your take on, on where Clint Boyer is at this point? I would hope that Clint talked to Kurt and just said, how bad is it going to be? Because that's, you know, it, again, he's going to have to basically for a 36 race season, there are about six races, eight races in Clint, in Clint Boyer's season this year. He's, you know, where he ho- can hope to do well. And that'd be the short tracks and the plate tracks. Other than that, um, you know, this is not a team that's going to run well on the mile and a halfs uh, for the most part, unless they suddenly hit on something. But it's again, it's a smaller team, fewer resources. The, 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 the ties to, to Hendrick are very helpful. Otherwise, this team would be in, in worse shape. Um, you know, I think the key for them is they, you know, he's got to be a realist in, in how it is, but he's also, you know, he's got to be, he's got to keep his mind right and and he's got to go into every weekend and give it his all because if he gives up and quits he doesn't help himself for next year because once you once you quit you know you're not trying to improve you're not trying to get better you're not trying to do things so then when you get into the the, you know a better seat next year you're further behind because you you haven't you haven't put forth the full effort so he's got to he's got to do that and again these guys are you know these guys are driven, so that that shouldn't be an issue. But he, I think he's also got to be there for that team because it's, uh, you know, for for as rough as it is, as much as he's not used to it, um, you know, the team, any team, you know, his personality comes off of the driver, and you know, if he goes sour grapes fast, then I think there's, you know, that just that's just going to make the that's going to make the season longer, and it's going to make it harder for those races where they actually can can do something those weekends to 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 really be able to do anything because everybody's in such a, a dour mood. So I, I just – I mean, he knew it was going to be a rough year. Everybody – I mean, yeah, and, and again, the question is, you know, didn't expect to see him down six laps so quickly, yeah. you know, or something like that at Phoenix. But, uh, you know – I think he knew, but I don't think he completely knew. Yeah. It, no, no, he, Daytona, he knew it was going to be tough. At Daytona 500 Media Day, though, he's telling us this team can win and we can make the playoffs and – it, it's going to be a you tough know, he, start, but but he, I feel like could, we can get there. He could win at a plate track. I mean, he's had success. He's been up front. You know, you, you, you fig, I would say that too. I mean, you figure you're going to be in Hendrick, you know, Hendrick type equipment. The plate tracks. You know what he can do at plate tracks. You're like, hey, this guy. You know, yeah, he feels like the team can win, and maybe they can pull something off at a short track. I mean, he, you know, he was it he nearly won that one year at, at Martinsville when he made the dive bomb and took out Gordon and Johnson. <laughs> Um, which later came back to haunt him at uh, at Phoenix later that year, but um, you know I, I I understand why he said that because I think there were he probably figured there were a few races with the equipment everything went right and 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 with his belief in his ability that he could win right uh, he's not going to win a mile and a half unless something really crazy happens right, right. Um, and I think he's going to need help to win at a at a short track but you know yeah it's it's. It's going to be a challenging year, and but you have to look at what's ahead. You you have to keep working to get better, and you have to keep looking at what's ahead because if you stop, you're not going to help yourself for next year. And next year, look, I, I don't you know I wouldn't say the 14 is a championship car uh, at this point, but 
you know, you can put yourself in a, a lot better ride than what you've got. You can put yourself in a car that has the potential to win races and maybe be, build it into a, a championship car. In in defense of H. Scott, so we're not totally piling on, they, they did switch shops in the offseason. They moved into a new place yeah. in Mooresville. Uh, Clint Boyer talked about that as well, Daytona 500 Media Day, about how much of a scramble it had been to get ready for the 2016 season. They do have the Hendrick Motorsports Alliance, uh, which which gives them some technical information, although that's a, a little fraught with peril now, too, with knowing that Clint Boyer is going to Stuart Haas, which is which is moving to Ford and leaving Hendrick. But uh, looking at this, a, Clint Boyer, 34th in points after four races, there's a chance that he could end up in the unfathomable situation where he might not be able to even point his way in uh, to the chase. It, it might it might take that that miracle win somewhere, Dustin. So I, I think this begs the question, as you mentioned, the, the, the 14 is a very good ride. Uh, it might not be championship quality at the moment, but, but we know that's a first-tier organization. They've won titles. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on here today in the podcast, knowing what we know now uh, and, and knowing Tony Stewart's situation, there, there have been some talk about maybe Clint Boyer filling in early with that team before joining them full time next year with, with Tony Stewart on the sidelines indefinitely with the back injury. Do you think it'll end up being worth it for Clint Boyer to, to have done this one year plan or, or well, the option is that he doesn't race. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know is he, that, he, is that a viable <laughs> option? <laughs> I guess uh, is the question, right? No, uh, not unless I'm getting paid to sit on my butt. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I, you know, here's the thing is everybody talks about, you, you know, uh, these drivers talk about if I'm out of the car for a few weeks or some of these guys who kind of do these part-time rides, the sport changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. So if Clint Boyer sits out for a year, you know, yeah, he's got talent and he can, you know, he'll be able to pick some things up quickly. And other things, it's going to take him a while. And, and uh, whereas if he sat out this year, that would be a year that everybody would have it, um, experience on the low downforce package that he wouldn't have or anything like that. So, I mean, he was in a situation where, you know, he, you know, he had to find a chair before the music stopped, and when the music stopped, there was H. Scott Motorsports, and that was it. Because through no fault of his own, Michael Walter Bracing was disappearing. So um, he was just left in a, in a bad situation. There weren't many opportunities at that point, and you know, frankly, he made the best of it by you know getting in the 14 car for next year. He just had to find something for this year, and. I don't know if it would have done him any good to, to, to have driven in an Xfinity car. And frankly, you know what? There's like two teams that you want to run for, and and um, and they're not Chevy teams. Right. <laughs> so, right. that's serious. So, there really wasn't many options, and and he just had to understand. But this was this this is this is going to be a year that will challenge him in ways that other years have not. And and. Um, um, you know, in some ways, maybe it'll be similar to the challenges he faced when he finished second in the points and, and just in trying to climb that mountain. But this is a different mountain. Yeah. And, and uh, so, look, he, 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 had, he had very few options. This was the best of a bad situation, and he's in a better situation for next year, and that's what he's got to look at. And it's, it's the way, that's how, you know, as you mentioned, Kurt Busch, I mean, you know, as you said, Kurt nearly won at Sonoma that year, and that would have been – uh, and I, I think even even he Kurt learned some humility during that period, and I think now he still he still has his you know attitude that maybe ruffles some people, but I think he learned some humility, and I think he learned 
some things that he needs to do to be a better racer. And I think that year, I think he would tell you probably helped him in some ways. Not that he really wanted to have to go through that, but that's, uh, you know, I think that's what Clint's going to have to go through. That could be it. I mean, they say that that which doesn't demoralize, defeat you entirely, actually makes you stronger. I mean, you you hate to lose a year when you have, you know, a 15, 20 year window and you think, hey, that's a lot of time, but in essence, it's not. And uh, when you, you give up a year like that, that's tough. Yeah, it could be a character-building year. Uh, certainly hope for Clint Boyer's sake it's it's not as long a year as it appears. Uh, Dustin, thanks for uh, joining us. It's going to be a long season here, and this, this <laughs> won't be the only time that you, you join this podcast here after race number four. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll do this again at some point. Uh, so thanks to you for being here. Thanks again to Kyle Larson for, for joining us earlier, and, and thanks for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.